Matthew 14 is where we're at today. Picking up right where we left off. If you would like to, you can stand. We're going to read the Bible and, uh, and then we'll pray and get started. If, if you're not able to stand or just wouldn't, that's okay, no problem. But this service likes to do that, so we try to accommodate that. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather with the saints here this morning. God, we thank you for your all-sufficiency. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the one who satisfies our soul. God, you are the one who nourishes our eternal life. You are the one who has given us life. And Father, we praise you today, and we pray for a wind of your spirit to blow through our gathering here this morning. We ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to see and understand the truth of your word and to be obedient. God, give us hearts that are ready and willing to obey obey this morning. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You ever just want to be by yourself? Come on, just be honest now. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever have that time where you just, you just really, you know, you've kind of had it, you're a little overwhelmed with people, you're, uh, you're spent, you've maybe been around, you know, a place where you've had constant needs and constant kind of challenges and problems and conflicts and brokenness and complaints and issues and sickness. And you know, I guess what I'm asking is, have you ever experienced getting people overloads. You ever experienced that? If you are a mom of very many children, I would say that you probably have experienced this. Uh, You've probably made the bathroom your solace. Moms have a a, uh, a really common habit of locking themselves in the bathroom and uh, pretending they're doing something in there when they're just trying to get away from everybody for just a little bit, right? And so we, I think we understand that, okay? So it says in verse 13, Jesus heard this and he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself, okay? Now, the great thing about these these accounts is we have them in all the Gospels, right? So defeating the 5,000, and not just in Matthew, but it's also in Mark and Luke and John. And so when you go to Mark's account, he gives us a little, a little more information about why they are pulling away to a desolate place. And so in Mark chapter 6, in verse 31, it says this, and he said to them, he says to his disciples, 
Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Okay, so so the context of Matthew 14 is they are getting slammed, right? So picture thousands of people all day long coming in. The disciples, the 12 of them, are having to manage these people, put them into groups, get them into lines, pray for people, hear their story, get them to Jesus, meet their physical needs, provide for them, deal with problems, deal with issues, deal with conflicts, deal with people all day long, and they are. They're spent, man. They need Jesus says come away to rest he says come away to rest because they hadn't even had a chance to eat so imagine being swamped with people to the point that you have been with them all day long you've been managing people and serving people and 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 caring for people all day long so much so that you have not even had an opportunity to eat and so they pull away by themselves they go to the what they think is a desolate place and then in verse 13 it says but when the crowds heard it they followed him on foot from the towns, all right? Now, let me just ask you an honest question. How would you react to that scenario, okay? So, like, if you've been pouring yourself out, and if you've given way more than, than, than you would you think that you would have to give, right? If you've been meeting needs, if you've been, you know, moving people, and, and, and they've been calling, you've been giving rides, you've been taking meals, you've been cooking for people, you've been serving people, you've been praying for people, you've been, you know, dealing with people all day long, and then you go just to kind of pull away with your little family, just have a little bit of rest. Just have a little bit of recoup time. And all of a sudden you look up and here they all come again. All right. Now, how, how would you respond to that situation? I think many of us, if we're not lying, we, we'd be irritated, right? We'd be like, ah, I've spent all day with you people. We have cared for our people all day long and here come more of them. And we just need a little bit of break. Jesus was not irritated. Jesus was not frustrated. In fact, let me read to you the majesty and glory of Jesus right here. It says in verse 14, when he went ashore and he saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, we have seen this time and time again. In fact, Solomon and I have been using Matthew chapter 9 as kind of a jump off verse in, uh, in, in, our, in our ministry together this week. And if you remember the verse in Matthew 9, 37 or 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. All right, and you're going to find this throughout the scriptures. If you go forward into the book of Matthew, into chapter 15, in Matthew 15, 32, it says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd. If you go later on in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, it says, And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight. If you go into the other gospels, for instance, uh, the gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse chapter of Mark uh, uh, verse 41, it says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to them, I will be clean. So what I'm showing you is that all through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is moved into the crowds because of his compassion, okay? He has this incredible uh, engine of compassion. He's got this V8 turbocharged compassion engine that moves him into the crowd. Even after they've been with people all day long, even after they have given and given and given and given and given, and they've intentionally pulled away by themselves just to have a bite to eat, a little bit of refreshment, a little bit of relaxation, take their shoes off for just a second, and here come the crowds again, and when Jesus sees those crowds, he's not irritated, he's not frustrated. Why? Because he is moved with compassion. The word 
word compassion means to feel in your gut for somebody. To feel in your gut for their lostness, for their plight, for their condition. And Jesus felt that for people. I am ashamed to say that I think probably most of us, when we are put in situations where we have to give and give and give and give and give, the only one we feel compassion for is ourselves, right? Like, like we, we are compassionate, we do feel it in our gut, we do feel sorry, and we do feel sad, and we do feel broken, but it's for us, right? We're like, well, what about me? I've given all day, and I gave this, and I gave that, and I give this, and I've spent time, and, and I haven't had any time for myself, right? But Jesus had this infinite compassion engine that moved him into the crowds. I would say to you today that if you have trouble, Giving to people. If you have trouble, and I'm not just talking about financially giving, I'm talking about of your time. If you have trouble moving into the crowd to meet people and greet people and love people and spend time with people and put up with difficult people and, and bear with inconsiderate people, and re- if you struggle with that, it's because your, your compassion engine is not running on all eight cylinders. Okay? We, we, we need to learn from Jesus here. This is what moves us into the lives of people is this biblical compassion, all right? So, Jesus has compassion, so what does he do? He says he healed their sick, all right? So, more ministry. So, the disciples are putting them in groups, and they're, they're praying for people, and they're, they're bringing them to Jesus, and they're dealing with people, and they've got problems all night long, okay? And then finally in verse 15, man, can't you just hear it in their voice? <laughs> verse 15, it says, when, evening, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, I, I can just hear their voice, Jesus, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Can't can you hear him? Jesus, it's over, you know. Quitting time. The 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 the, the bell is rung. You know, it's time to clock out. Jesus, the day is now over. Send the crowds away. I, I bet they almost pleaded, don't you? Jesus, just send them away. It's over. It's a desolate place. They don't have anything to eat. They got it. They got. I mean, there's a practical point here. They need to go. They need to travel back to civilization. Remember, we came out here to be alone. They followed us. We, they need to leave and travel back so they can get something to eat. And then Jesus springs this on them. Verse 16. You give them something to eat. You see that? Verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. All right, Jesus, there's 5,000 men, okay? Now, what do we know about church? Well, unfortunately, this is actually, Lincoln is somewhat of an exception to this, but, but across the United States and the world, it's not. More women usually come than men, right? So if there's 5,000 men, and they probably all brought a woman, right? And then there's more women that came, and then you got kids. Now, in Jesus' day, they had kids. They kind of had kids like our Kansas campus had kids, right? Like, it's, it's a multiplier, you know? You seen the tour buses drive in there, you know, right? So, what are we talking here? 15,000 would be a conservative estimate, probably. Commentaries I read said 20 to 25, possibly. If, if you brought all the children, because verse, remember the last verse says, and those who were 
who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children, right? So these guys are shot. They've spent their, their, their energy and their time giving to people, and now it's time for them to go away so they can buy something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, they don't need to go away. You give them something. You know what Jesus did right there? He asked them to do an impossible thing, right? 20,000 people. That is a stadium, right? Many of you watched the... Uh, OU Texas game probably yesterday, right? No, I watched a little bit of it. Um, those most of those stadiums hold about what twenty thousand. Can you imagine standing in the middle there, looking around, and there's twenty thousand people, and Jesus says, "All right, Jason, you feed them. Feed them." Now, do not think this is strange, because Jesus asks people to do impossible things all the time. You know that? Have you ever thought about that? Most all of the commands in the Bible are actually impossible on your own strength, aren't they? I mean, if they aren't, if you're like doing it on your own resources, then you're probably not doing it, right? Let me, let me give you a great example of that. Next chapter, not, not the next chapter, next passage. So just a few verses after where we stopped reading. Uh, Jesus is walking on water, <laughs> pretty amazing, right? And the disciples are in the boat, and the disciples look out, or look out and they see him walking on water. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? Come. Come, get out of there. You know, you know what he asked Peter to do? An impossible thing, right? Let me, let me give you the one I think about. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. I do not have it in the tank to pull that off. I, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, like I, if I think, okay, I'm going to love my wife with the intensity and with the sacrificial love that Jesus loves the church, I cannot do that on my own. When I hear those commands, I need to cry out in dependence upon God. See, that's the way it's supposed to work. Okay? Jesus calls you to do an impossible thing. What that should do is drive you in dependence to the king. All right? I need you, Jesus. The only way I can do this is through your power, right? Through your might. In John chapter 6, which is actually the, the biggest reading of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, uh, John includes Jesus' sermon afterward as well. But in John 6, 7, Philip responds to Jesus and says, Jesus, it would take 200 denarii to buy enough bread for each person just to have a little, like a little bite. Okay, 200 denarii. A denarii was a day wage for common labor, all right? So 200 day wages for common labor. What, was that, what would that be today? $25,000, $30,000? 200 days working for a, a, a guy, for labor, all right? So, so basically, Philip responds to Jesus and says, Jesus, it would take $30,000 to buy enough bread just to give a little bit to each person. We can't do it. All right, now be careful right here, okay? So, so let us not make the mistake of taking inventory of our meager resources and only attempting to do things that we think we have enough to do, all right? Jesus knows you don't have enough. Who in this room thinks that Jesus actually thought Philip had $30,000 in his wallet, you know? Uh, no, nobody thinks that, right? Who, who in this room thinks that, Peter, that Jesus is thinking, well, Peter, don't, doesn't your dad own that fishery, you know, uh, 10 miles down the road, you know? Hey, have him send the trucks, you know? No. Like, they, Jesus knows they don't have enough. He's calling them to trust him. 
Have you found yourself in a situation like that? I actually talk to, all, talk to people all the time who are in difficult faith situations, and they know what the Bible says, but you know what they do? They take inventory in themselves, and then they conclude that they can't do it. I talked to somebody this week. They're in a difficult marriage. And so I listened. I tried to be compassionate. I tried to follow the, the, the I tried to meet needs uh, as best I could. And, but then toward the end of our conversation, I said, listen, you know, we're going to try to do these other things. I'm going to pray for you. But, but at the end of the day, here's what the Bible says, you know, and, and you, need to, you need to do what Jesus is calling you to do here. You know what they said to me? I can't. I said, no. They said this very thing. I do not have it in me. I, I'm not going to do it. We've got to be careful of doing that, okay? We've got to be careful of, 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 of being a disciple here who Jesus says, will you give him something to eat? And we're like, no, Jesus, I'm out. That's ridiculous. You know, there, there, there's too much. I don't have the resources. I, I, I don't have enough. Hey, you're right that you don't have enough. I mean, that, that's, not a, that's not a false statement. Jesus knows you don't have enough. He is calling you to trust him. That person I talked to this week, what they really need to do is trust Jesus. Respond in faith. Now, what does trusting him look like in these situations where he calls us to do something that we don't have enough? Well, number one, what, what it looks like is whatever you have, you make it available to Jesus. Okay? So, so whatever you have, okay, however little it is, however meager it is, you make it available to Jesus. So that's what happens here, right? So verse 17, they said to him, well, we, we have only five loaves here and two fish, okay? Uh, I, I asked a couple people about it, and they kind of disagree with me. I kind of think they said that almost jokingly, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. Someone disagreed with me this week, and, and that's fine. I, I, we, we can't tell humor. Don't you wish they would have had emojis in the Bible, you know, like a little sarcastic emoji or something so we didn't know? But I'm just thinking, if you're standing in a stadium of 20,000 people, and Jesus says, well, you know, what do you got? And they're like, well, we got five biscuits and two fish, Jesus, you know? I mean, like, like they had to say that, like, well, this is what we got, but obviously, you know, Jesus, this is, we don't have enough. New plan, right? Remember, send them away, okay? But, but what they do is they, they, they make it available to him. Okay? You know what he says? He says, bring them here to me. What do you got? Five loaves, two fish. Okay, bring it here. Bring it here. See, I, I'm really afraid that oftentimes our temptation is to go ahead and run the numbers in our head and conclude that what we have is not worth giving to Jesus. I have a feeling that people do that all the time. I have a feeling that people conclude that, well, what I have is not enough. I'm not skilled enough. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. So I'm going to go ahead and decide for Jesus. That's dangerous. And, and I hear it happening all the time. That's dangerous to say, Jesus, I'm going to tell you how much I got, and I'm going to go ahead and decide for you. You don't get to decide, Jesus. I'll decide for you. It's a frequent occurrence for me to, Ask folks, hey, Christians, hey, have you had a chance to share the word this week? 
Have you had a chance to, you know, give a little gospel testimony? Have you had a chance to maybe just speak a truth out of the Bible? You know, something you learned in Sunday school or something you learned in small group or, you know, something you learned in your, in your quiet time. You, were you able to share that with anybody? Share it with your family? Share it with your, you know, coworkers or anything? And oftentimes, you know the response that comes back? The response that comes back is, well, no, I really haven't because, you know, I just don't feel like I should because I don't know enough, right? What are they saying? They're saying, hey, my knowledge is five fish and, or five, five loaves and two fish, right? I, I just got a little. I've just got a little bit of knowledge about the gospel. I've just got a little bit of knowledge about the Bible. I just have a little bit of knowledge about the things of God. And so I have concluded that Jesus doesn't need that. So I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to give it away. So you decided for him. He says, bring me what you have. It's a frequent occurrence for me to ask about hospitality type stuff. Hey, how's it going with uh, relationships? You know, have you, have you had a chance to minister to anybody on your block? Have you had a chance to invite anybody in your home? Have you had, have you had a chance to, you know, share a meal? Have you had a chance to, you know, and, and, and frequent occurrence, right? People were like, well, you know, our house is not really, you know, it's not really set up for that, you know? It, it's just... It's this small, and we got this pit bull. He killed somebody last year, you know, and ah, it's just not, it's just not enough, you know. It's not, and we're just not, yes, yeah, not, not, not that, you know. It's this little meager hovel, you know, dirty little hovel. I'm not a good housekeeper. I just have a little, right? So I'm going to keep it. Faith says, Jesus, what I have is available to you. What I have is available. Maybe if we ask the question, well, have you had a chance to give to the mission of the gospel around the world? Well, it's Christmas time. It's the end of the year. My business is slow this time of year. I just, I, we just have a little bit of extra income. And so, you know, that, that $8 for that orphan, that's really not going to matter much. See, I don't think you make that decision on your own. I think whatever we have, we bring to Jesus. And that's exactly what they do. So in verse 18, uh, Jesus says, bring them here to me. Okay, bring them to me. What, what do you have, disciples? Well, we got five biscuits and two fish. I had to think they're kind of smirking as they take him to him. Okay, Jesus. You know, we got 20,000 people out there. Here's five biscuits and two fish. What are you going to do with that, right? What are you going to do with that? Jesus breaks it blesses it, looks to heaven, offers a blessing, okay? And then he gives it back to the disciples to give to the people. That was the thing that stuck out in me in that verse, all right? So so when you look at uh, verse uh, 19, it says, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave it. He didn't give it directly to the people. Notice, he gives it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, a miracle happens here. Everybody's, everybody's on board with that, right? Um, there's a lady here in, in, in our church named Winnie Tennant. Uh, she's passed on now. I don't know if you had a chance to know her, but we always kidded her that she could take one pickle and feed 5,000 because she cut them so thin, you know? So... That's not what happened. It wasn't that Jesus is like, you know, cutting biscuits real thin, you know, giving the little crumb to everybody. No. No, there's a miracle that happens here, okay? Now, when does it happen? When, that's important. 
We, we do not know exactly how this went down, okay? But we, we do know within, within kind of a couple options, okay? And either one, here, here's what we know. The miracle happened when the disciples gave it away. Does that make sense? Okay? So they had, we just got this little meager. They take it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, gives it back to them. And then as they give it away, it's enough. Okay? It is, it is miraculously enough as they give it away. Jesus is the multiplier, the supplier. Okay? Now let me tell you what didn't happen. Okay? They didn't give it to Jesus and Jesus goes, you know, presto whammo. And all of a sudden, boom, there's 20 semis full of bread, you know, pull up. You know, and 20 semis full of fish, pull up. And, and, and Jesus is like, all right, everybody go get what you want. You know, that's not what happened. Okay? Let me tell you what didn't happen. Peter didn't have his basket, and Jesus offered it to heaven, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 you know, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 loaves of bread and 5,000 fish are in Peter's basket, and he's like this, you know. He's going, going you know, and it's, it's, it's uh, 200 foot in the air there, and he's back. No, that's not what happened, right? What happened, some, there's two choices in my mind. If you can think of another one, I'd be glad to hear it after the service. Don't start talking to somebody in any sermon. But anyway, Two choices, okay? Choice number one is the one I probably believe is what happened. Jesus breaks the bread. He gives Peter a little bit, right? Peter takes that basket, and he goes, and I, I kind of picture him thinking, this is ridiculous, you know? And he gives it, what he's got, to the first person, and he looks back in there, and there's more. Well, <laughs> and there's more. And the more he gives away... It's just there's more in there, right? That's, that's one clear option. It's very similar to the Old Testament story of the widow and the oil. Remember? Like she had so much oil. She kept using it, and it, there's just more oil in, in the, right? Okay? The other option would be Peter gets, uh, you know, a biscuit or fish or whatever, and he goes to, to give it away, and, and, and then he goes back to Jesus, and Jesus gives more. Like in Jesus' basket, it's multiplied. Um, I, I, the way it reads because it doesn't say, it, the way it reads, it's he gave it to the disciples and they go give it. And, and the more they give it, the more it appears in there. Okay. Now here, here's the beautiful thing about that. These guys are literally giving away all they have for hours. Isn't that cool? Like they're giving away their last biscuit and fish for hours. I don't know how long it took. Okay. So, so here's the only way I have to kind of gauge that. So this summer when Dave and I were in India, this happens all the time in India. Like you, you have a bunch of orphans that come in, and so we do the God story with them and everything, and then we're going to feed them afterward. And, and actually, when you read the Mark account, the Luke account, the John account, it talks about how he had them get into sections. He had them get into kind of, okay, they, they, were, they said, them sit down, which Matthew 14 says that. But then in, other, in the other ones, it says he had them get into sections. That's exactly what happens in India. Like they, something, they say something in Talagu, like, da -da 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 -da, you know, and all of a sudden they all kind of, you know, and where there's no row, there's, there's a row, you know, and they kind of break out into, into sections, you know, and, and, and that's what's happened. And so what, what I know is that David and I are able to give out um, uh, 200 theology books and 200 like suits of clothes, like a shirt and a pants. They're in these little boxes. We're able to give that out in about 10 minutes, okay? So we're personally giving 200 in about 10 minutes with those row, that row system, okay? Um, so I kind of figured that in, if you take that multiplied by 12 and, and they're only giving away one thing, they're, they're there for an hour and a half probably. Hour, hour and a half. Hour and a half giving away your last biscuit. Isn't that cool? Nobody thinks that's cool, but me, I, I love it. 
Like, like it's like, okay, this is all I got, you know. And it's like, uh, I'm giving away my last, well, I thought I'm giving away my last, I'm giving away my, you know, you know what I'm saying? And isn't that, isn't that us? Jesus, I just, oh, I'm shot. I don't know much, but I got a little, so God, I'm going to give it away. Well, I got more now. Well, okay, here's another person. I'm going to give it. I think I can do that one too. Man, it's, it's this beautiful picture of how God multiplies when we give ourselves away. There is a theological version of this story, okay? So this is the picture. This is the story, okay? But when you go into your epistles in 2 Corinthians 9, we get, we get like the Apostle Paul unpacking the theological elements to this, this principle, okay? So, so let me read it to you. So 2 Corinthians 9, uh, beginning in verse 6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So there's the principle, right, that you, you give, give away generously, God will provide, right? Okay? Uh, you'll have a big harvest. Verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? So there, there's another principle that, that God doesn't want you, you know, doing things out of grudge or out of guilt. He, he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him, right? Have faith, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 9, and God is able. Okay, here comes the theological rocks here. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and, I love this word, multiply. You see that? Will supply and multiply your seed for what? That's really important there. Your seed for storing it up and putting it in the bank and buying a vacation home in Tahiti. Oh, it doesn't say that, okay? It says your seed for sowing, right? Like Jesus did not multiply the bread and the fish so that these 12 guys could go buy wagons, right? Put, put you know, 20,000 people's worth of food in their wagons and take it back to their homes. That's not what he did. But he multiplied so they could give it away. Isn't that awesome? He multiplied it so they could give it away. All right. Back to our text. Verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. One of my favorite words. It even sounds good, doesn't it? Listen to it. Satisfied. Right? Satisfied. That sounds good. Hey, it means to be full, it means to be content, it means to, to have what you need. They were all satisfied. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. You see, the root of sin is what? The root of sin is that there's an eternal, awesome God who, who is able to meet all of our needs. And the root of sin is we don't want him. We don't want him. We're like, I'm not interested in you. I'm more interested in money, possessions, power, status, myself, my comfort. Earthly pleasures. I'm more interested. But here's, here's the principle. Jesus is the soul satisfier. Now, listen. If all you get out of today is that Jesus is awesome because he can feed faster than McDonald's and better than Panera. True. 
Now listen, if that's all you got, true. Ah, but not, not really what the big picture here is, okay? That is true. But the big picture is something else, okay? So Jesus does these miracles because he's pointing to something bigger. And that something bigger is himself. He is the bread of life. That's what he's pointing to. All right, so when you, when you open up to John 6, go ahead and go to John 6. When you open up to John 6, and you get the sermon after, okay? So the day after the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So let me walk you through what happens, and, and you're, I think you'll see this really clearly. So, so Jesus feeds the 5,000. The next day, so this is verse 22, on the next day, okay, here come the crowds again, all right? And in verse 26, Jesus says this. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You know what happened the next day? A whole bunch of people came back. Why? Because they were were looking for Jesus, but they weren't looking for him for the right reason. I was one of those people that was interested in Jesus before I became a Christian for the wrong reasons. Like, there's a lot of people that will come to church, they'll come to a revival, they'll come to a Bible study, they'll they'll open up their Bibles, and they're interested in Jesus, but they're they're interested in Jesus because actually they want something else. Like, like what they really want is, Jesus, I want this bill paid. Jesus, I want help with my finances. Jesus, I want want help with my marriage. I want help with my relationship. And Jesus, if you can help me with those things, if you can help me get what I really want, then okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come. Jesus says, don't labor for the food that perishes. See, if all you're interested in Jesus for is to get you something else that's going to perish, that's short-sighted. Right? So Jesus says, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures eternal life. Okay, As we go on in the conversation, uh, the people still don't get it. Verse 30 cracks me up. John 6.30. They said to him, well, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? <laughs> he just fed 20,000 people. <laughs> And the next day they're like, well, are you going to do something spectacular today? Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Okay, now do you see the purpose of this miracle? Everybody see that? So, so the purpose of this miracle, okay, Jesus has compassion. He, he teaches the disciples about, you know, trusting him, you know, going into the world, meeting the needs, trusting him to do that. But the bigger picture is what? He's the bread. Jesus is the bread. I had a biscuit this morning. One of my good friends brought me a biscuit this morning in my office for breakfast. I was hungry. I ate the biscuit. I was satisfied. I'm actually getting a little hungry again, but uh, not not really. It's habit, you know, but it's about noon, right? Um, but it satisfied me for a little while. You know what else it did? It not only satisfied me, but I don't know the science behind this, but but it went into my body and it, it turns into energy, right? Some of you understand that, like you you took biology or whatever. Like it, it, it turns into it turns into energy and, and it actually gives me will and energy, ability to do things, and it keeps me alive. Okay, isn't that a great picture? 
Jesus says, I'm the bread. I satisfy you in ways you cannot imagine, and I give you life, not just physical, life forever. Jesus says, I'm the bread. It breaks my heart to think that there are some people, they were there that day, there were some people that it is beyond their comprehension to know that there are deeper joys and deeper satisfactions than a good meal or a wallet full of cash or sex or power or possessions. Some people live their entire lives and they never know there's more. For them, the pinnacle of life is a good restaurant. The pinnacle of life is a 401k that makes them feel secure. The pinnacle of life is a new toy that wears off in a month. And they never realize that Jesus is the bread. He said that to these folks. Verse 35, he said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The very next verse, verse 36. But I said to you, That you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You don't believe. You're still looking for McDonald's and Panera, thinking that's the answer to your life. When I'm the answer. Take me in. Believe, seek me, trust me, follow me. Make all you have available to me. And I will satisfy you in ways you can't imagine. And I will give you life. He's the bread, guys. He is the bread. Come to him today. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the bread of life. Jesus, you are, um, you are everything we need. Lord, you satisfy our soul. God, you, you give us eternal life. God, you, you bring a peace and a joy and a contentment and a restfulness, Father, that nothing else in this life can bring. And so, Father, I pray for those here today who may not know you, God, who may not believe. God, I pray that you give them faith today. God, give them faith to know you're you're what they need. God, give them faith to stop chasing everything else in this life and to start chasing you. Father, give life today. Give life through your son. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We rejoice in you. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please?